0: Mm -hmm. You can have an impact, you can have an influence on people. But did you really leave that place so much better than where you found it? You know, I think for me, the answer to that question has always been, no, I'm not leaving this place materially better than I found it if I'm picking up and exploring something else within 12 months.
1: everyone and welcome to the Breakline Arena! We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from under-selected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Welcome everyone. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. Absolutely thrilled to be here today with Chris McNamara from Remote. Chris, would love for you to dive in and just tell us a little bit about your background.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me along. My name's Chris. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer at Remote. As you can probably tell from my twang, I'm not from around these parts. I actually grew up in Sydney, Australia, and moved to the U.S. back in 2007 to do graduate studies at Stanford, and after graduating, moved back to Sydney, Australia, where I'm from, and thought I would spend the rest of my working days living out my life in the beautiful city of Sydney. but. Around about five years ago, my wife and I decided that we wanted to do something more adventurous. And for me, as someone who was working in technology, you know, I realized that all of the most exciting technology jobs were back here in the US and a number of them in the Bay Area. And we decided, as a partnership, to pick up our lives and move halfway across the world. Very grateful for my wife's. Winnie's support, and we moved here so that I could take up an opportunity as an executive with Glassdoor. It's kind of crazy to think that five years ago, the world was a very different place, and now the concept of kind of living and working remotely is so familiar to all of us, and you no longer have to make a choice between your personal life and where you live and where you grew up and your professional aspirations the type of choice that I made you know, five years ago, leaving behind friends and family in Australia to pursue my career goals here in the US. All of that being said, it's not a sob story. I couldn't have hoped for a better set of experiences with Glassdoor, I had an amazing experience at that company, an incredible group of people there and an amazing mission. And you know, I feel very fortunate to have joined the team at Remote. And obviously what we're all about is enabling talent, that can be based anywhere around the world to find opportunity, regardless of where that opportunity is located. So that's a little bit about me and my personal journey to remote.
1: Chris, thank you so much. And there's so much about what you just said that I think would be really interesting to our audience. One theme that I wanted to pick up on, though, was your gratitude to Winnie. And I remember actually we have a couple of parallels. I went to to Stanford for my MBA as well. And my husband who was in the MBA program with me grew up in Sydney. And while I was at Stanford, I remember someone saying one of the most important decisions that you can make for your career is who you choose as a partner. And Mm. I found it to be so true because when we make these choices, if you're connected to somebody else and you're part of a team, as you said, It doesn't just impact you, it also impacts that person and potentially your family. Anything that you and Winnie have learned about that successful partnership and making decisions together that you'd like to pass on to other folks? I
0: think one of the things that occurs to me is that in any good partnership, I think the relationship has this dynamic of reciprocity. One of the things that I remember studying at business school was Joel Peterson. He's one of my favorite
1: professors. Oh, he's so great. Yeah. He's one of the He's best. been on the Breakline Arena too.
0: Joel, if you're out there, I love you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will make sure he knows.
0: <laughs> an inspiration for me. and yeah. I would love to, to connect and catch up at some point in time. But I remember Professor Peterson saying in one of his lectures, that in his life, the partnership that he had with his wife was such an important enabler for his success. Mm
1: -hmm. And he
0: described it as being a relationship where at a given moment in the partnership, there were points in time where a person had to lead the other through a door. Mm. Someone had to go first and someone had to follow And, you know, at various moments in his his career, he asked to go first Mm -hmm. and it wasn't his expectation that he would always walk through the door first, Mm -hmm. but, you know, at various times he wanted to do that and asked for that and was in in a partnership where, you know, that was supported. And I've been grateful to have had that type of experience with Mm -hmm. Winnie and I, where, you know, she really allowed me to go first and walk through the door and Followed me and encouraged Mm. me and picked me up when I fell over on the other side of the door. And it's my expectation that, you know, I also will need to support her career and aspirations in those moments where she needs to go first, because I think that's what being part of a good partnership is all about. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of been one of our realizations. Another one might be that increasingly, I feel like in this. World where the space between work and life is blurred and compressed, it's been really valuable for us as a couple to carve out space in the Mm -hmm. day and the week for each other. Mm -hmm. And it can be as simple as booking time in the calendar for a weekly lunch which seems crazy because a bunch of times she's kind of in the other room back there. Yeah. And the concept that I have to book a meeting with my wife to, so that I can have we can have lunch together seems sort of outrageous. But it's actually really positive and helpful because mm. it creates that kind of circuit breaker and it's really just a delightful part of the day and the week mm. when we get to do that. And likewise, making a commitment to have time together at the end of the day. Because it's so easy, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to just come back to the screen and be seduced by the long to-do list. Mm -hmm. I think so many of us have more work to do than we have time to do it. And Mm -hmm. in this world where so many of us are working remotely, your office is the same place that you live, the same place where your loved ones are, your family. And that's not always helpful for those relationships, Mm -hmm. so... Trying to create Mm. some specific space there for us, I think, has been valuable.
1: That's awesome. And it reminds me, I ask myself two questions every day. And one of those questions is, do I feel connected to people I care about? And Mm. I always ask that question because I think it is easy to get distracted, especially in this sort of frenetic moment that we're in where everything is intertwined right now. But it's so important, like that's at the root of professional performance for me, you know, to feel supported, Mm -hmm. to feel loved, to love other people in return, and also Mm -hmm. to feel deeply committed. And that's another, Mm -hmm. you just use the word commitment. I can sense it in you with your relationship with Winnie, but also when I look at your career, I mean, we're, we're in a moment where the average tenure in tech is about 18 months. And you were COO of a company called Design Crowd in Australia, and you were there for five and a half years, and then you were at Glassdoor yeah. for four and a half years. Yeah, can you talk to us about the value of actually digging in, yeah, and just like showing up over the long term?
0: Yeah, for me, Bethany, I suppose that one of the ways that I think about my career and one of the measures of how I assess sort of my happiness is the impact that I'm able to have on the teams and the organizations that I'm seeking to lead. And for me, a big part of where I derive fulfillment is having the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. And again, to quote Joel Peterson, a piece of advice that was shared in one of his classes was seek out the heaviest load and lift it up. Like Hmm. that's how you can kind of distinguish yourself regardless of your field of expertise.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, If
0: you do that, chances are you'll sort of make a name for yourself, no matter what Mm -hmm. it is you're trying to do.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: that's broadly what I've tried to do. Whatever success I've enjoyed in my career has not been because of talent. I don't personally really believe in the concept of talent. I believe in practice. Mm -hmm. I believe in Effort and hard work and commitment and learning from mistakes,
1: mm. and
0: that takes time. The work that I did at Design Crowd, which was a really formative experience for me and you know an incredibly meaningful one, where I was working with a great friend, a very close friend,
1: hmm. uh, who
0: was the CEO there, Alec Lynch, on building that business from scratch with his co-founder Adam Arbelino. You know, that was an incredible journey filled with difficulties and challenges and the lows make the highs so much more Mm. special. Mm. And for me, the value of digging in is having the opportunity to maximize your impact. If you're Mm -hmm. kind of changing course every 12 months, then I think it's really hard to create lasting change in Mm. an organization. Mm -hmm. You can have an impact, you can have an influence on people, but Did you really leave that place so much better than where you found it? You know, I think for me, the answer to that question has always been, no, I'm not leaving this place materially better than I found it if I'm picking up and exploring something else within 12 months. So, you know, the type of transformations that are most exciting for me have been the ones that have taken time. Mm -hmm. And that was true at Design Crowd. That was true at Glassdoor and i believe that will be true at remote too each situation is unique but one of the common threads is there are meaningful challenges to tackle different types of problems to solve and solving them in the right way takes time
1: mm. so chris when you were kicking off the conversation and and describing remote just briefly at the headline level you talked about being in a position to connect talent with opportunity, no matter where that talent lived and worked. And that's obviously very closely aligned with Breakline's mission too. And I feel deeply committed to the idea that we can generate a lot more access to opportunity if we think creatively as a community and as a society. So I'd love for you to talk to us like From a mission perspective, I was actually just at Stanford teaching a class on Breakline and I was saying one of the best possible perks that you could offer as a founder, as a leader, is a sense of purpose, to have people feel deeply connected with a sense of purpose with the mission every single day. That matters way more than the kitchenette. And so, and you all have something so powerful, and I'd love for you to just share more about the work that you're doing and the impact that you're having.
0: Yeah, thank you. I agree with you. I I think that on some very fundamental level, we all strive to have an answer to the question why am I doing this in my kind of professional life and what does it mean? And the more that i think companies and organizations are able to galvanize people around a mission or a purpose the more likely it is you're going to engender followership and a ongoing relationship with the people that you're seeking to lead that lasts for the long term and delivers outcomes that are really special and at remote you know i'm proud to work for a company that is very mission oriented. and I think the co-founders Jobob and Marcelo have been very intentional in the way that they've placed the mission of the business broadly is to connect talent with opportunity regardless of kind of location. And they've designed that into how they think about the values of the company, how they've approached hiring in the business how they prioritize aspects of the strategy, how we think about our operations, the quality of the customer experience, the service that we seek to deliver. And it's really embedded in the DNA of the company. We think about that mission not only from the perspective of employees that were connecting with opportunities, but also employers who are realizing the benefit of being able to work with incredible talent that perhaps they might not have originally contemplated being focused on more traditional places for hiring in their local market. So I think that we're very proud of what we're doing to advance the connection of talent with opportunity. And we very much believe that the global trend emerging around distributed work and the global preference, the increasing global preference for flexibility amongst employees with their employers is going to lead to better outcomes, not only for um, those employees, but also for businesses.
1: I love that. And the other thing I really respect is that remote is also living this promise. So you all have grown so fast, founded in 2019. All of a sudden, a couple years later, 900 employees in over 60 countries. And it's just so amazing to see you all use your own solution to build your organization. Can you talk to us about some of the benefits that you personally have seen or your team has seen from distributing the opportunity to work at remote?
0: Yeah. There's a couple of things that are top of mind for me. The first is that in a lot of organizations, diversity is a very topical conversation right now. And that topic of diversity, I think, plays out in a variety of ways, whether you're talking about race or gender or orientation or even diversity of thinking. But in general, I would say There is this sort of emerging body of work that suggests that diverse teams perform better. They do better. They generate broader thinking. They're happier. They're more engaged and they're more productive. And we benefit massively from being sort of an organically very diverse team because of the Remote first approach that we've taken to the way that we've built the organization. Within the context of any company that is hiring from its local market, you're immediately creating certain guide rails and limitations with respect to the people that you're organically attracting to the business. The type of people who look and sound and are very similar to the people that are already in that business in that location. When I joined remote i had a remote onboarding experience and the first onboarding call that i had as a remookie which is a <laughs> a rookie remote employee was with 25 other people who were in 20 other countries from around the world and to me it's, it was kind of wild to be in an onboarding call with so many different nationalities represented so I think that's one tremendous benefit, I think, that we've enjoyed as a business from being remote first and embracing this sort of model. I think a second benefit is that I'm not sure I've ever been in another company that has empowered employees to the same degree to take ownership of the things that will bring them happiness outside of their life at work because... One of the implications of being a company that is so geographically diverse is that people are working at all times of day, just naturally, because of the differences in time zone. And so, it sort of necessitates an ability to work asynchronously, which is kind of unfamiliar to a more traditional working context where you show up in the office and you work From this time to this time, and people take their lunch around the same time, and then people go home around the same time. That is not the nature of how work operates at remote because it can't. There is no office. And so, when you take your lunch break and when you go home, quote unquote, is completely unknown to your colleagues. And so, there's incredible freedom to pursue the things that excite you and engage you. And fulfill you outside of work. And there's a huge amount of trust as well that you're still able to fulfill your responsibilities and achieve your goals inside of work. But it's entirely up to you how you manage your time to pursue that. And so that freedom to organize your life in that way and the ability to kind of choose where you work from. And we have people who are sort of moving countries from one month to the next almost to fulfill this sort of personal aspiration that they have of experiencing the world creates an environment where people are incredibly energized and fulfilled in their life because they are not having to fit their life around work the two coexist in a way that's much more organic i think for people and you know that translates into really level high levels of happiness and engagement. So that I think is a real benefit that we've also enjoyed in this context.
1: That is really, really cool to hear. And Chris, my husband and I have four young children, so there's zero chance that we could kind of country hop (laughs) from one month to another. But as I was thinking about (laughs) the kind of like leadership and management ethos at remote, I was thinking about the importance of schedule control for parents and the importance of being able to work asynchronously so that you can do stuff like pick up your kid from school or go to the soccer game or catch the doctor's appointment or whatever it is. And for a long, long time, there was a lot of shame for working parents in needing to actually be there at certain points for their kids. And with you all enabling this environment for people to be respond, get your stuff done. And just be responsible for that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be at your desk from nine to five. That whole concept of schedule control, I think is crucially important, not just for people who are like living their best lives and (laughs) traveling around everywhere, but also just day-to-day working parents and other caregivers and other people who have real demands and responsibilities outside of the office and want to be excellent in all areas of their lives.
0: Yeah, Totally. I am not one of the people that is hopping from one country to the next either from month to month. But, you know, I am, after our conversation today, going to pick up my daughter from school. I'm going to take her to soccer practice and watch her score a number of goals on hapless defenders. I'm going to celebrate (laughs) those goals outrageously. (laughs) And then, you know, I'm going to come home and make her dinner and um, I'm going to hop back online later on. And being able to do that is incredible. I think the world has changed in the Mm -hmm. last couple of years and we have the pandemic to sort of thank for that Mm. to a degree, Mm -hmm. because I think it's just nudged everyone Mm. out of the status quo into Mm -hmm. a different mode of working and, You know, we've realized that there are tremendous benefits to be had from a different approach, one where you're not necessarily at your desk from nine to five.
1: You know, I was thinking about because we definitely we started Breakline about six and a half years ago and have seen an enormous evolution in that time from like everyone has to be in the office for conventional working hours to more flexibility with Mm. remote working remotely and having a distributed workforce. I still feel fear from hiring managers and hesitation from some hiring managers. And I hear concerns around culture and engagement and feeling connected to each other. But I think that there are a lot of concerns too that stem from either insecurity as a leader or fear about efficiency and productivity. Breakline Mm. has about 32 or 33 employees at this point. And our employees are all in the US, but spread across, I think, 25 different states. And so we've always also been remote and distributed. We are so clear on exactly what we are accomplishing every single week. And we meet as a team every week. And we're all looking at the same dashboards across the entire company. And so it really feels to me like if you have transparency into what you're trying to do, And you've got really clear objectives and metrics around those goals. There's no reason why your teammate has to be physically co-located with you. You know, I think that we should really be in the business of building trust, you know, and enabling other people to feel empowered to get their stuff done. You all have a much more complicated organizational structure than we do, what are some of the actual tools or tips like managerial tools and tips that you found that work really well for ensuring that you're actually able to still hit or exceed those goals and objectives, even when people aren't in the same room? Because I do continue to feel like that's an area of concern for people who aren't quite ready to let go of an in-office culture.
0: Yeah. I think that tip number one is recognizing that working in a distributed model and working asynchronously is different. I think that if you go into this type of model believing that you can work in the same way with your colleagues in the same approaches with the same types of communication, then you are likely to get suboptimal outcomes. And it wouldn't be surprising to me that if you did that, your conclusion would be our remote working is not as effective as being based in the same place and in the same location. I think it's a mistake to assume that working remotely or working in a distributed model is easy. However, I think per some of what we've discussed, there are massive benefits to working in a distributed model that can be unlocked if you can do it effectively. And so step one is recognizing that it's different and connected to what we've been talking about I think realizing that distributed work implies an increased degree of asynchronous work is one of those tips. So, work happens synchronously, naturally, when you're in the same place, literally the same location, and you're working at the same time. As soon as you break that, even if you're in the same time zone and people are working in different places, there's an increased need for asynchronous work to happen because the walking up to someone and having a conversation. It's just, it's not as easy. Of course, there are tools like Slack, there are collaboration tools like Notion and the Google Suite that enable you to kind of work together on things at the same time. But it's not quite as easy. And unless there's a deliberate focus on educating your team around how to work asynchronously, then it's quite possible that the level of collaboration goes down when you move to this distributed model. Because I think there's a natural tendency for when people work in this way to sort of keep more to themselves. And so it can result in situations where there is unintended consequences like silos being created, less communication, less interaction between individuals. And so Tip number two, I would say, is I think you need to be deliberate in creating those forums for collaboration and allowing individuals and teams to kind of come together and create working groups in a more deliberate fashion than perhaps you have done in the past. And, you know, critics might say, well, won't you just put people in the office and they'll organically form those groups? That's true. Perhaps those groups will not form as organically when you're working in a distributed way, but there are other benefits of distributed work that you won't get from having everyone work in the same place at the same time. Like, for instance, at remote, because we have employees in 70 different countries, someone is always working. And we're really effective at executing projects that require work around the clock without kind of necessitating the burnout of the team because there's always someone in some place within a function who's available to pick up the work if we can adequately create the process for how work and knowledge is codified and passed from one employee or team to another. And so I think being thoughtful around like how – Do you document work and how do you enable your employees and your teams to learn and advance kind of their work, even when they're not working at the same time as others? Has been a really important aspect of our success. Final tip, if I could share one, would be I think one of the assumptions about working in distributed models is that it's harder to build culture. That's not an unfair point of view I think it it can be harder to establish culture where you don't benefit from the face-to-face interactions as frequently as you know a more traditional employment setting but from our perspective all that means is that you need to be deliberate in the mm-hmm. way that you seek to cultivate the culture and it's a mistake to assume that culture is pizza and beers on a Friday mm-hmm. that's recreation. <laughs> That's not necessarily culture. Culture is the identity of your team. It's the way stuff gets done in your organization. It's what you stand for as a group of people. And I think there's a way of defining that and enacting that and living that in a remote setting. And I think Joab and Marcelo, the founders of Remote, have done an incredible job of bringing that to life. In this company. Hmm.
1: I love to hear that. And that last point resonates with me so much. We think about that all the time at Breakline and we have such a tight team and none of us work together. Like none of us are physically co-located. And I have two tips on this. One, we use Slack as a team and it's just popping off all the time. And one of our channels in Slack is called our values channel. And this is where we celebrate people who are really personifying a value that's important to break line. And that channel gets hit at least once a day. And so it's Mm -hmm. really tying us very closely to not just what are we doing together, but how are we doing it? We want to be really proud of that. And so it's just present in our minds and in our hearts all the time. That's been a really powerful tool for us. And then the other thing, Chris, for us is we are intentional about having the hard conversations So we're having this conversation very sadly a few days after a mass shooting in Texas, a few weeks after a mass shooting in California, a few weeks after a mass shooting in New York. And like I've been a part of organizations where there's a lot of energy expended to ignore the elephant in the room. Just pretend it's not there. (laughs) Let's shove that thing under the rug. And with us, with Breakline, I think we've found it to be much more powerful to just go straight at the hard thing and be Mm. clear with each other. And those are vulnerable moments. But I found as a leader that vulnerability really builds. It builds trust. It builds that sense of security. It builds that sense of commitment, you know, because in those moments, we're really our most authentic selves.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that your willingness to embrace those types of topics brings you closer to the Mm -hmm. team because that is the human thing to do. I -hmm. think that maybe in the past, the boundaries around who I am at work and who I am outside of work were more clearly drawn than they are in kind of our modern organizations now. And I think the truth is that most people want to feel a sense of belonging in the Mm -hmm. workplace that comes from a connection with Mm -hmm. your co-workers that sort of necessitates a willingness to talk about hard things. And sometimes bringing those conversations can be uncomfortable, but it's also real because pretending that the events of the world are not happening Mm -hmm. and that they don't impact us somehow Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we're at work is kind of artificial. And whilst some might consider that a distraction from the work that we have in front of us. You know, I could also argue that not acknowledging the existence Mm -hmm. of what is going on around us doesn't really honour the relationship in a way Mm -hmm. that brings us closer together for the long term. Is this a transaction Mm -hmm. or is it kind of a partnership? Mm -hmm. And maybe it depends a little bit on your philosophy around leadership and the type of relationship you want to have with the team but you know I think if you believe in authentic leadership then kind of requires that you're prepared to make yourself vulnerable and Mm -hmm. open those types of conversations even where you're uncertain about kind of how to approach them and where they Mm -hmm. might lead yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah one of the things that we say is let it be messy and I
0: think that's a great
1: expression. Our teammate, Sam Combs, had this great comment yesterday. He said, emotions are energy. And I've been thinking about that a lot since he said it, because if we think about trying to like contain energy by just ignoring it or just wrapping it up really tightly so it doesn't escape, that's one way to create an explosion <laughs> versus allowing it to be released. And then really thinking about how do I shape this energy? to create change that I want to see in the world, to create productivity, Mm. to create the end that matters most to me. I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about remote for refugees. I just think this is so phenomenal that you all have this program and it's also available to help Ukrainians and anyone who has been displaced by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, I recently interviewed Oleg Roginsky. Have you have you all crossed paths? He's the CEO of People.ai. No. He's amazing. He has done some phenomenal work. He's Ukrainian originally, and now has lived for many years in the US, but has done a phenomenal amount of work to support the Ukrainian people. And then we're about to highlight one of our alums, Uliana, who's also Ukrainian and just joined a company called FAIR. So we've been thinking a lot about that region of the world and you know how to show up for our folks who feel deeply connected there. And so I saw that you all had this program. I just thought it was phenomenal. And I'd love for you to share more about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Happy to talk about it. And I think Credit for the program, again, goes to the co-founders of Remote, Yob and Marcelo, who established this back in August 2021, I think long before the kind of Russian-Ukraine conflict. And the thinking behind this was that every day in the world around us, there are individuals who are being displaced from their homes and their jobs and their livelihoods. and Remote as an organization has the ability to potentially do something about that. And as a company that aspires to connect competent, qualified, talented individuals with opportunity, we wanted to put that into action. And so the genesis of the program was really the idea that we wanted to help individuals with a refugee status and connect them to opportunities and for employers who were employing individuals that were displaced by a conflict or who otherwise had a refugee status from the country in which they lived and had the ability to work in in a given location, we would offer our services for free and we would employ those refugees, those displaced individuals without cost to that company. We would take care of all of the employment obligations and compliance obligations without our management fees. The salaries of the individuals are obviously still paid by the company, but we wanted to make our services available, our employment services available free of charge. And, you know, the hope is that this will be a program that can help hundreds if not thousands of individuals who have been on the unfortunate side of these conflicts. And, you know, we are hopeful that we're able to kind of assist them in finding gainful employment and being connected to opportunity through through what we've established.
1: That's phenomenal. Phenomenal social impact. So you're the CRO, but in your career, you've had experience in consulting, in banking, in operations. I would love for you to share with the breadth of your background why should people target sales or customer success as they think about yeah. how to build and accelerate their careers? And I say this because it's the number one functional area that I love to see brake liners go into. And it might mm-hmm. be the one where folks have the most hesitation because they think oh, of it as like, does that mean I'm a used car salesman? Like, does that mean that I'm pushing something on? There's, I think sales has a reputation problem. And I would love for you to dispel some mythology (laughs)
0: around that. Yeah, I do think that sales gets a bad rap. For me, the thing that appeals about these two functions, sales and customer success, and the thing that connects them is that regardless of the industry that a business is in, a core function of the company is to be able to articulate the value of the product or service that it provides, to be able to solve some problem for a customer or a user, to be able to demonstrate the value that's being created. And these are broadly the objectives of sales and customer success. These are skills, these are functions that have relevancy in every single venture on the planet. Every single company requires, I think, an ability to do these things. And the ability to do them well, I think, can distinguish companies that are successful from companies that fail. You know, this is ultimately the engine room of top-line growth, and kind of long-term success for a business. So, of course, there are situations where I think we all engage with salespeople in ways that (laughs) lead us to a conclusion that might prompt us to kind of question whether sales is a good career choice, but it doesn't have to be that way. I think that a good salesperson is someone who helps you to achieve your goals. And someone who, if you've had a good conversation with a salesperson, it doesn't feel like they're selling you something. It feels like they're helping you. Like they're going to open the discussion with a series of questions to learn more about you and what you're trying to achieve. And once they understand those things, they're going to share with you a perspective on how the product or the service that they are offering may have relevancy to achieving the goals that you've outlined to them. And then they're going to kind of propose to you some relationship whereby they can kind of demonstrate to you that making an investment in this product or the service is going to assist you and help you. And then kind of once you've decided that that's what you want to do, that's not the end of your relationship with that salesperson. Like a good salesperson, I think, will want to ensure that they've actually delivered those outcomes to you and will actually be very vigilant in ensuring that you got what you paid for. And when that happens, I think as a customer, you walk away thinking like, that was worth it. What I just bought, whatever it was, the product or the service, that was worth every dollar. That I just spent. And that is the value I think that a sophisticated sales representative can bring. It's solving problems for people and helping them achieve their goals. You know, and customer success is closely connected to that. It's primarily in the post sale relationship how do we continue to ensure that a customer has a great experience with what they have purchased? How do we continue to ensure that they're realizing value from the product or the service that they've acquired? And are they getting all of the benefit from what they bought and getting maximum value from the dollars that they spent? In my view, that's sort of the, the goal of customer success. So, yeah, I feel like these, these functions, especially sales, sometimes get a bad rap from how it's presented in,
1: mm-hmm. in
0: media and the movies. Not everyone is is like that.
1: I, I totally agree and And one thing that we tell breakliners all the time is think about getting as close to a center of value creation as you can. and in tech, yeah. there tend to be two: one is product or software engineering, yep. and the other is sales and customer success. Yep. So yep. thank you for shedding light on that. We have just a couple of minutes left, and when we think about the Breakline community, these are folks with roughly five to 12 years of experience. But many times they're jumping into a new industry, a new sector, kind of starting fresh, mm-hmm. taking everything, all their hard work and their ethic and their ingenuity and their grit, and just applying it in a new direction. And so I'd love for you to share, you know, just some parting words of wisdom for folks as they. Are shifting into a new phase of their careers and in some ways beginning a new chapter. How they find inspiration, motivation, self confidence, the drive to keep going, even if they get a momentary setback, things that you've learned that you think would be helpful to to our folks at that stage of their journeys.
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. Some practical advice here. I think one piece of advice that I would share is that as you think about making a switch, it's helpful to reflect on your strengths and your gaps as it relates to like what you're trying to pivot into because you want to leverage your strengths and you want to be cognizant and honest and real about the fact that you have gaps and i think that if you understand those two things you can begin to try and identify scenarios in which you can sort of parlay your strengths into a situation where you're getting what you want in terms of like this different type of experience maybe not everything at once but you're getting the first step on your path to realizing this change in in career Leveraging your strengths and beginning to build new capability in those areas where you have less experience or where you're kind of weaker. So, in practical terms, if you're switching functions as well as industries, that's like a really hard sell to a prospective employer, particularly if you are trying to go laterally in terms of the move that you're making. So perhaps a second piece of advice is have an honest reflection on what you're prepared to give up in order to achieve your objectives because if you're prepared to go backwards in order to go forwards with respect to like level, then you might be more likely to get some yeses than if you're trying to go like – sideways on level or even up. That's a really hard pivot to make if you're switching functions and switching industries too. I think a third piece of advice would be be patient because you only need one job. Like you only need one connection, one relationship to be the yes (laughs) on the switch. And that can take some time. And you'll probably get a lot of no's before you find that yes. And just be prepared for that. Just go in with a realistic expectation that this could take some time and that that's to be expected and try not to be discouraged because switching careers is hard to do. But almost anything that is worthwhile in your life is kind of hard to do. Is sort of my personal view. Like if you look back on your life and think about your greatest accomplishments, how many of them were, like, really easy? It's like none, right? At least for me. It's kind of like, yeah, I I never think, yeah, that thing was so easy and that was, like, the best thing I ever did. (laughs) It's the opposite. It's the opposite, right? Like, it's always, man, that was so hard when I did that thing and I did it and I'm really proud of doing that Mm. because there was so much failure and there was so much difficulty And there was so much learning and growth that happened Mm -hmm. along the way. Mm -hmm. So embrace the no, be ready for some failure along the way. That's okay. It's part of the journey. Don't give up. Yeah. Like I've had countless no's in my career. You know, I've switched functions a bunch of times. And here I am today Mm. doing things that maybe, you know, 15 years ago in my career, I'm not sure I would have thought that's, you know, would be possible. That's where I would Mm -hmm. be. Don't give up. There's no substitute for hard work. It's what my mom taught me. I love that. I think she was right.
1: Mom knowledge. Did you cross paths with Andy Ratcliffe at the GSB?
0: I did. You did.
1: One of the things that your last point was reminding me of something that Andy says all the time, which is it's not the number of no's, it's the size of the yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And he's wise. Yeah. I think that's a great one.
1: <laughs> Chris McNamara, CRO of Remote. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's a
0: pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me along. It's was, it was great talking to you.
1: Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of the Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we will see you next time.